God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Maybe I shouldn't walk and speak at the same time. I don't know, Stacy. <laughs> what a joy it is to be with you this morning. It's always a joy to open the scriptures to you. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 24 for our word this morning. Before I begin, though, I want to um, just invite you to pray for me. I'm leaving Friday. Stacy asked if I could preach in, in Advent. I said, yeah, I have one option today. <laughs> I'm leaving Friday for Zambia. So just would, you, you know, COVID, it, it's, it's more complicated, but we really believe the Lord is still opening some doors for us to go. I think Steve Curtis is leaving the 8th for Uganda. And so continue to keep us in your prayers as we travel and, and try to do what God's called us to do trained pastors in the majority world. As is our custom, I'm simply going to invite you to stand with us, those that are able, as we read from the Word of God this morning. Matthew 1, excuse me, Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph woke from sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Let's pray. And Father, you know already how you want to work in and through your word this morning. We simply invite you. Lord, we, we, we offer you our hearts back. Lord, fill us, move in us, through us. Lord, somehow move me out of the way, that your word can find its way deeply into our hearts. Holy Spirit, I know you're here, but have your way in the preaching of the word today. We ask this in faith, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I'm used to preaching to dear brothers and sisters in Africa, and I will tell you, in Africa, you get a lot of feedback. This is a good thing from my point of view, okay? Amen, hallelujah. So if you're so inclined that way, I know we're Presbyterian, but we're spirit-filled Presbyterian, amen? amen? So I invite you that are so inclined that way, if you're not, it's fine. Uh, that helps me, actually. Well, I was listening to a Christian leader one time train others in evangelism, and it was good. I was listening, you know, of course, we've been a part of these things a lot. It was good at least until he said this. He said, the Christian life is so much easier to live than a life of a non-Christian. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Now, I think the person training was trying to say that the Spirit of God gives power, amen, gives power to us to live the Christian life. I think that was the intent, but that's not what he said. No one becomes a Christian because it makes life easy. 
Now think about this with me. There's joy. Amen? We get great joy. There's the abundant life that Christ came to give to us. There's the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit with us as we worship him. Those are wonderful. I need an amen. Those are wonderful. They're glorious. However, and this is important, when you become a Christian, it doesn't mean everything in your life is going to go peachy keen, going to go perfectly, going to be easy. I just don't see that verse in the Bible anywhere. In fact, I think it might even be the opposite. Many times there are dire, difficult circumstances that the Lord either allows or brings into our life, and he calls us to trust him in the midst of these difficult places. In fact, in many ways, I think the Christian life is harder than the non-Christian's life because now I not only am concerned about me, I'm concerned about you. I mean that quite literally because the love of Christ compels us, Paul says, to share the gospel, to, to love those around us. And I think that's part of the call on all of our lives. So it's a difficult thing, but it's also a blessing. Now we're in Advent, as we've already talked about well this morning, coming. We celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior to earth. Now, he was here, but we're talking about his incarnation. It's worth celebrating. And we know that before creation, God planned to work to bring great glory to his name through the salvation that he would bring to us through his son, Jesus, the son of God. He had to become flesh. He had to dwell in our midst so he could identify with us in our weakness. The Son of God had to experience suffering. He had to experience death as a just sacrifice for our sin. And the Son of God was raised from the dead, amen, in victory over sin, over Satan, and even over the final enemy of death. So our hope lies there. So there's great blessing in this life. We're called to live as followers of Jesus Christ. That's a true statement. But it's also a true statement there's great difficulty in this life we're called to live as followers of Jesus Christ, amen? Both of those are true. And so it leads us to this theme idea that we want to explore this morning. As followers of Jesus Christ, we live our lives by faith in the midst of hardship, trusting in the Lord to help us as we seek to obey our God. Now, I don't know how you would describe 2020, I've seen all these, you know, memes and jokes about 2020 and all the problems of 2020 on social media and other places. But one word I think we can all use to describe 2020 is difficult. It's been hard. It's been a struggle in all kinds of different ways, probably for everybody in this room and all those that are listening. And so we need to think about clearly from a biblical perspective, how to live lives in the midst of difficulty. And Joseph, I think, is a perfect example of this, living a righteous life in the midst of hardship, because that's what he does. Now, Matthew is writing to Jewish audience. In a Jewish audience, he focuses on Joseph, the father. The Gospel of Luke chooses to focus on Mary, the mother. We don't know a lot about Joseph, actually. We know he's from the line of David, had to be for the Messiah to come from him, lived as a poor carpenter in the village of Nazareth. Now, I don't know how to, you know, describe this in American terms, but it's kind of like the armpit of Israel, okay? Ooh, who would want to live there? That's, that's Nazareth, okay? He's called a righteous man in this passage. Now, there's only one other person in the scriptures this phrase is used for. It's the person Noah, who lived a righteous life in the midst of a very, very perverse generation. 
Now, there are declarations in the Scriptures of what it means to be a righteous man. It means that he both studied, knew, and lived the Scriptures. It means that Joseph was a man who believed the Lord, that trusted in the Lord for his, what we call, salvation or his righteousness. People ask me in Africa all the time, how are people saved in the Old Testament? Well, they're saved the same way you and I are saved. They have faith in the covenant promise of God. The difference is they look forward and we look back to the Messiah who's come, but that's the only difference. Joseph is a righteous man by faith in the covenant promise of God. And thirdly, you look for evidence of a life that's been redeemed or being re- reclaimed by the Lord, which we see even in this passage in Joseph. He cared deeply for Mary, so he looked for a way to quietly divorce her for breaking the covenant without exposing her to shame or perhaps worse, the text doesn't say this, but we know from Jewish law that she could have been stoned to death. Now, most Jewish men were married between 18 and 20 years old. He was betrothed to Mary, which is a first step in the covenant of marriage. Now, it's legal. It's part of a legal contract between the man and woman, but more importantly, between the two families. And because it's a legal contract, the only way to, to break a betrothal, it's not like engagement here, it, it, you have to go through a legal means to break the engagement. And how it worked in the culture was the, this, engage, this betrothal lasted 10 to 12 months, and during that time, the man would go home to his father's house and build a room onto his father's house where he and his wife would live after the marriage vows were completed. Now, John 14, Jesus picks this idea up in speaking about his, his return. I go there to prepare a place for you, et cetera, et cetera. Now, after 10 to 12 months, and the father says, not the son, the father says, it's time, he gathered his friends together, and they had this processional towards the bride's house. Now, you have parables about this, Jesus tells. You know, the virgins are trying to get their, their, their oil together, and they have to have enough oil that need to be prepared, as some of the parables Jesus taught. Well, they get to the the bride-to-be's house, and, and they, they, they escort her then back to the, the, the father's house where the room's been prepared, everything's prepared, and there they have the final marriage vows, and they celebrate this new covenant for a week with their family and friends. Now, since betrothal was a legal transaction, it had to be a legal divorce. That's the point here. Now, we're not told the details of what takes place in the whole scenario, but we can roughly imagine what happens. We know from Luke Mary is overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit, so is with child, the Son of God, Jesus. Mary, we aren't told how old she is, but she's very young. In the culture, 13, 14, maybe, maybe 15 years old. Now, this young woman has to tell her parents that she's pregnant. Think about that for a second. She has to tell her betrothed, Joseph, that she is now pregnant. Even though she's going to tell the circumstances that took place, you can't, I can't imagine how difficult that must have been. She's trustworthy. She's godly. That's the, what people know about her. But she would have to tell them the circumstances. And no doubt she tells the whole story about what the Holy Spirit did. But Joseph has a difficult time believing her. Imagine that. Okay. I say that because none of you would believe her either. Okay. And so they live in a small village. Small village means, by the way, we've been to Israel. We've had the blessing of being there, and we've seen some of this, at least in the village of Capernaum. The houses are very close together. They have windows. They don't have glass. So if you're my neighbor, I know everything happening in your house. 
And if I know everything happening in your house, everybody else knows everything happening in your house too. I mean, that's the way it worked in a small village. So everybody knew what's going on. Your relatives probably lived there or in a nearby village. So Joseph is faced with a very difficult dilemma. If he publicly exposes Mary, he sets her up for tremendous difficulty in her life. He doesn't really want to do that, but he doesn't know what else to do. So he decides his only course of action is to quietly divorce her and release her into the care of her family and friends, which is what he tries to do. Now that would at least give Joseph the possibility of marrying somebody else someday. And Jewish law, by the way, in this circumstance, would allow for a divorce like this. Now if Joseph had decided to take her to court, he could have done that to recoup some of the financial obligation that he had undergone in building the house, etc. He could have recouped some of that by going to court, but he chose to lay that aside. Now I want to pause for just a moment, because I want you to think about Joseph. I want you to understand the, the difficulty, the dynamics that are going on with Joseph. He's just been betrothed. He's excited. He's working hard to prepare a place for his wife. He has these thoughts, these dreams, these wonderful expectations that are about to take place. Then he gets the news, I'm pregnant, okay? I don't know what that would have done inside of him, but wow, would there have been a struggle. Even though she says, the Holy Spirit came and met me, an angel visited me, and she tells the whole story. He makes the best decision he can in the circumstances. Now, the text doesn't condemn Joseph for the decision he's made. In other words, he's still acting as a righteous man. He's given a difficult news. Now that happens to you and me too, right? Now sometimes it happens because of our own sin, but not always. You you can be living a very godly life and still you, you can suffer. You can struggle with the things of life because people around you sin. Because we live in a fallen world, we know these things. In fact, often that's the the way things work for us, where we struggle. The Lord doesn't always even show us what's going on. What are you doing, Lord? Have you ever prayed that prayer? I certainly certainly have. What are you doing, Lord? Well, I, I, ultimately, I trust him, but we ask him what he's doing. So what do you do when life brings you suffering, struggle, difficulty? What do you do? Well, that's what I want to look at in our second point this morning. Because the text says this, as Joseph considered this course of action, now that means he wrestled with it. That means he, he, he let it revolve around in his mind. He prayed it through deliberately, thoughtfully, what he should do in response. I want to suggest to you that that's a godly response in 2020 also. You know, more and more people that I meet in our culture, they run by their emotions. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, that, that is what the culture is telling people. You are what you feel. That is not a biblical statement. You can't show me one place in the Bible, not one, I feel, felt this way, so I did this. That verse is not in the Bible. That is not what the Bible says, even. We live according to truth, and emotions follow. That's what the Bible says. And so people who live that way in our own culture, uh, it's, it doesn't work. Imagine Joseph. If he was living according to his emotions, what he would have done. Now, I don't know for sure if he would have hit her. I don't know if that would be appropriate in the culture. Maybe. Certainly is in the African culture. But at least he would have dragged her before the elders, and he would have demanded his money. He would have demanded some sort of punishment for her, which would have taken place. You know, what I find is anger in my own life doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. 
there is such a thing as righteous anger. Jesus got angry in the temple courts when, when worship was being hindered. But I have found very, very, very few times in my own life where my, my anger could be in that category of righteous, okay? 99.9% of the time or more, it's in the other category. Uh, there's a selfish motive that's involved there. So if something happens to anger me, what do I do? What did Joseph do? Well, we aren't told, but what, what, what are you supposed to do? Well, you bring it before the Lord first because at least the Lord allowed those circumstances to come into your life. He did. Now, in this case, the Lord brought these circumstances into Joseph's life. It was purposeful. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't, I'm going to allow this to happen. It was the plan of God just taking place in this passage. And so we can't let anger be what we lead with. We, 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 need, we need to prayerfully resolve that. Our dear friend Jim Glasgow had this saying that he used to say all the time. In fact, for a while I had it on, on my refrigerator until I couldn't, didn't like to look at it so often. It said this, okay. Circumstances do not make me the way I am, and they reveal the way I am. That's one of those truths that is true, but wow, it can get convicting. <laughs> okay. What comes out of my mouth, if it's anger or something else, what comes, what comes out of my actions, where does it come from, according to, to Jesus? Your heart. That's where it comes from. And so we resolve things before him before we resolve things this way. So did Joseph feel like he had been wrong? Absolutely he did. But he, he went and took care of that. Then he went back to the Lord and asked for the grace to know how to respond. That's what he does. Uh, I remember when I was a pastor in Florence. You know, the, Florence, the, the, the church we were at, had a Christian school, much like Myrtle Grove Christian School. There were 350 students in the school, and I wasn't, as pastor, involved in the day-to-day -day activity. I mean, that's impossible, right, Stacy? That's impossible. And so others did those sort of things. However, I met with the principals every week and prayed with them, but when something difficult, really difficult happened, it often landed at my feet. And so there was a student who was expelled from the school because he had marijuana. And the parent, who was, by the way, not, he wasn't a member of our church, but he was a member, he's a leader in another church. He was very angry by his son being expelled from the school. And so he appealed it to the school board. They upheld the principal's decision. So he just showed up at my office one day. No appointment, just shows up. And when he got there, I didn't know what the issue was. I didn't know who he was, actually, until he started. I could see the anger coming out of his ears, so, okay. And so I was praying under my breath as he was, you know, relaying to me, trying to control his anger as he relayed to me what had taken place with his son. He's trying to explain his son's innocence. He has marijuana, he's innocent. That's a little hard to figure out. But anyway, that's what he was trying to do. And I said to him, when he was done, I said, you know, let me suggest... I see you're very angry, but let me suggest that you just go, maybe resolve your anger before the Lord and forgive if you need to forgive or let go if you need to let go before we talk about the response that needs to take place here. He, had, he wanted none of that. He was coming at me two barrels, full barrels. He wanted me to change the school board's decision, which I didn't have the authority to do anyway. But that's what he wanted me to do. And I said, let me just ask you the question. If your son was caught with marijuana in the public school, what would they have done to him? Now, I knew the answer to that question in South Carolina is where we were. I know what would have happened. It would have been worse than actually what happened. The school actually was very gracious in my, in my view. This Christian leader responded out of anger. That was, that was his lead. No wonder it wasn't received very well. Joseph doesn't do that. My friends, your anger and frustration does not bring about the righteousness of God, ever. And so an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him exactly what Mary had told him. The one conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
He's told to take Mary home as his wife. In other words, complete the marriage vows with her. He's told the one conceived in her is to be given the name Jesus, Deliverer. So he, would have, he would have understood that very clearly. He will save his people from their sins. Now, as soon as that's said, Joseph is thinking, my Messiah. Mary is carrying my Messiah. What a stunning piece of news. And so God reveals to Joseph what he's doing powerfully in a dream. There's no doubt in Joseph's mind that this is from the Lord. The Lord was showing Joseph exactly how he was to respond. Now I'll tell you, when I encounter the Lord in any different way I have over the years, it's always been a very powerful encounter. You don't forget these times. Joseph would never have forgotten this. I guarantee you that. Now that's important because of what it means for Joseph. I want you to think about this because the implications are huge. Joseph will lose his reputation because everybody in Nazareth will assume he's been unrighteous. They will assume he's had relations with Mary before the marriage vows were completed. So he would lose his reputation, he would lose everything in the culture. Now in our culture today, I understand that if somebody has sex outside of marriage and gets pregnant, it's so common, we sort of We sort of almost forget it. But here, there had been the stink of his reputation the rest of his life in this small village, no matter what he did. And this brings us to one of the truths that actually Matthew reiterates several times. As followers of the Lord, we value our commitment to him above our reputation, above our ambition. People in the village probably stopped going to Joseph for their carpentry needs. The people in the village probably didn't invite Joseph and Mary to any of their social gatherings because he was now socially unacceptable. So Joseph chooses to believe the word of God even in the midst of difficult things that it will bring into his life. Now I want to stop for just a moment here because 2020 has been hard in many ways and we've had to navigate many difficult things. It's different for different ones of you but they've been difficult things we've had to navigate. I want to suggest to you, I don't know what your read is on what's going on in our nation, but I'll tell you what my perception is, is that things for Christians, those who really want to know and follow and love Jesus with their whole hearts, they want to be obedient in every circumstance, if that's you, things are going to get more difficult. That's my read of what's going on in our culture. It's going to get harder, not easier, because of where the culture is going. And so when you're faced with uncertainty or difficulty, which you're going to be if you haven't already. What do you do? Well, the first thing I do is I ask people, well, as you prayed, what has the Spirit of God spoken to your heart? How does he want you to respond? And I listen very carefully. Now, usually people say, well, I haven't prayed that much. We'll go back and find out is my my response to that. If they say, I prayed, but I really don't know yet, then my response is, well, keep doing what the last thing he told you to do. Keep doing that until he shows you the next thing. Amen? I think that's the heart of God. I think that's how we respond. I think that is how we respond. And so we seek the Lord. I'm talking about in the scriptures. And I'm talking about listening with our hearts as we pray until we're clear about what God would have us do. God doesn't stutter. Amen? He's not the author of confusion, ever. If you're confused, you don't have the mind of the Lord yet. So continue to seek him. It's okay, but continue to seek him. Joseph has given a clear word from the Lord after prayerfully decided. He decided, righteously, I think I have to do this. Then God showed him something, and he changed 
and lined up with the revealed word of God to him. Amen. That brings to me a, a thought that I want to just continue to challenge you to think through and pray through for yourself. Because, now I've never had a vision of an angel. I don't know about you. I've never had that. But I do believe God speaks to us clearly through his word. How do you know that it's the Lord? I get that question often, both here and in Africa. How, how do you know it's something that the Lord is giving to you or what he's, what he's showing you to do? Well, let me give you a couple thoughts on that as we look at this text this morning. First, we believe. I know it's a simple, but that's true. We, we believe. I believe the word of God. I believe it, amen? I believe it's for me. I believe it's for today. I believe he has a word that will speak to me that will help me know exactly how he would have me respond. And secondly, and God can send an angel if he wants to, but he often doesn't do that. He has many ways that he reveals to us, and usually it's through that, that still, small voice that speaks to our hearts about what we know, where, where there's a conviction in our hearts about what he would have us do. That's the bottom line question for us. When God called us from Florence to come back to Wilmington, we, we put the house up for sale. Now, that was in 2008. I don't know if you remember this, but that's when the housing market crashed, okay? And so we were stuck with a house, trying to sell a house. <clears throat> we, we put it on the market at, at, a, at a loss. We had a small piece of land up just touching the northeast Cape Fear River. But we were seeking the Lord, saying, Lord, where do you want us to live in Wilmington? You've called us here. Where? where? I'll live anywhere. I don't, I don't care. You know, the church, North Grove, was up on, in the Ogden area. And so we were looking at houses there, looking at houses in Hampstead, you know, knowing the church might be, might be moved there. We, were, we had this piece of land. We we're saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? That's, that's the bottom line question because of passages like, if you know Acts 17, 26, the Lord determines the exact times and places where men should live. I believe the Lord has a place for us. And so we pray and seek until we know what the Lord wants. Well, how do we know? Well, there's an inner conviction. I didn't have a dream from an angel, okay? <laughs> That's not the way it worked for us. But there's an inner conviction. I think this is what the Lord would have us do. When you have that, it's not an emotion. It's a conviction. I think this is the Lord's mind. Then you start to walk that direction. Joseph knew because God told him what to do. We know because God will show us what to do in the difficulties that lie ahead. And then, uh, Matthew brings up a passage Joseph would have known, Isaiah seven fourteen, The virgin will be with child. That's talking about Mary, my wife. Okay. You'll have a son. His name's going to be Emmanuel. He knows that. God with us, of course. And this picture in, in Joseph's mind, the light bulb's going on, which brings us to the last point this morning. You know, this is simple to read in the text. It's not simple to do. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. Just a very simple, small statement. He did. He obeyed, in other words. Again, obedience meant dying to his reputation, dying to probably financial help, dying to ambition that he probably had. It meant shame for him and his extended family, difficulty in, in every way. Obedience meant, we're told in verse 24, he had no union with Mary until after Jesus is born despite taking the marriage vows somewhere before then, apparently. Now, in our culture, American culture, this is, this is the truth. It's sexual idolatry is what's taking place in our culture. I mean, that, that's what it is. And so there's this right 
okay, we think. No, Joseph, he laid down all of his rights. He laid down his reputation. That sounds a lot like Jesus to me, okay? <laughs> okay. To do what the Lord would ask him to do. Now, obedience meant hardship for him, and it often does for us. It means we deny our flesh, take up our cross, and follow him. And I know this uh, guy who was a Christian businessman, he had a small contractor's business. He refused to lie. In bids he would give, he refused to lie, he refused to cut corners. But the result of that was his costs were often higher than other people who would cut corners and wouldn't tell the full truth. And so he lost business. We were praying with him about how do you do it creatively so it can be, so you can make it work financially for your business. I know another man pretty well. This is not Wilmington, this is in Florence. He had a very good job in a pharmaceutical company, a large pharmaceutical company there. Now his new supervisor demanded, I don't know if this is even legal, but this is what happened, demanded that nobody post any scripture, anything religious, you can't have a Bible on your desk, you can't have anything like that or you'll be fired. That's, what was, that's the word sent out. Now th- th- this brother is kind of like, remember Daniel in the scriptures when it was, when it was demanded that n- you no longer pray to the Lord, uh, you, you can't do that, and Daniel heard it and went and did what he always did. Well, that's this guy. He he wasn't trying to be rebellious. He was careful, but he would read his Bible often during lunch. Now, it's a fairly large company, so he didn't really think that the supervisor would see him doing it, but he wasn't really trying to hide. He's being himself. He's reading the Bible to himself, and lunch is over, so he, he puts his Bible on his desk for three seconds while he's putting his lunch away, and she happens to walk by right then, and she says to him, she sees his Bible. She says, she starts screaming at him and says that he's fired for disobeying her direct order. Now, he didn't try to defend himself. He didn't. All he did is he said, I'm a follower of Christ. That's, that's who I am. And she berated him for what, what, what he was doing, taking up work time. He says, it's my lunch time. Anyways, he didn't try to defend himself. He said, I forgive you when she fired him. Now, that opened a door. Many people heard the gospel because of that faithful witness of his. God gave him another job. He can do that, you know. So I don't know what it will cost you to follow Jesus Christ, but I think there's usually a cost. I've told you the story, I think, in the past of, you know, we're in a very good situation in Florence. It was wonderful, it really was. And we were offered another position, you know, in the church world, there's sort of this, you know, order. You know, you go to this size church and you, you know, hopefully do well. Okay, then you go to this size church. That's sort of the, it's not a biblical mindset in my view, but it's sort of an American mindset. And so we were offered a position, it wasn't finalized, but they were talking, inviting us to this 2,000-member church in Sacramento, California. We prayed about it and said, that's not the Lord. At the same time, the Presbytery asked us to come back to Wilmington to a dying church plant. So you have a great situation, a church of 2,000, or a dying church plant. That's our options. Not a very hard choice, is it? (laughs) The problem was we prayed. Okay, I'm, I'm joking. Okay, we prayed. We said, Lord, what do you want us to do? And we have three, three, really three options. What do you want us to do? This one, the Lord, I'm, I'm, we're clear early. That's not the Lord. Okay, we like it where we are. People said, Why do you want to leave us? I don't want to leave you. That's not the point here. Okay, that's not what we, what I wanted to do. But it became clear to us that this was the Lord's choice. So we obeyed. It wasn't easy. I'm telling you, it was very difficult. But what we're after, my friends, is is kingdom fruit. Amen? I think that's what we're after as followers 
of the Lord. Now, I want to end this morning by reflecting on the blessings that came Joseph's way. Joseph listened as the shepherds came from the fields and declared who Jesus was. Beautiful. Joseph listened as godly people, Anna and Simeon, for example, declared who Jesus was. The wise men came from far to worship his son. Isn't that amazing? Now, I don't know what it was like, but you can sort of try to imagine for yourself every day interacting with the Messiah, who has no sin, okay? We're told when he was 12 years old that he was in the temple courts with the scribes and the Pharisees teaching them what the scriptures actually said. What would it have been like to walk every day with him? It would have been marvelous. What a joy. I can't imagine the blessing that would have been as he interacted with his own son. There's always great blessing as we walk in God's way and God's plan. Now, I wouldn't trade my life for anybody's. I mean that literally. I wouldn't trade my life for anybody in the, universe, in the world. I know who I am in Christ. I know I'm in the center of God's will. I'm at peace with God, at peace with others. I don't know what you want from life, but that's what I want from life. Joseph shows us what brings true life even in the midst of great difficulty. So what do you do with hardship, my friends, either that's maybe in your life now or that maybe is coming in 2021? I think first we follow Joseph's example by seeking the Lord. Lord, how would you have me respond in righteousness? Now, it's not your power, you understand, okay? It's the power of the Holy Spirit within you who empowers you or enables you to do whatever it is he's asking you to do. And then you, then you take that first step of obedience of faith. And then you get to watch the Lord work. Amen? What a joy that is. Now, I want to pray to close us this morning. And as I do that, I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to bring clarity and conviction to our own hearts. After I pray, the music team, the worship team is going to come up and going to lead us in, in a worship song. If, if you have a need of any kind, whether it's related to the sermon or not, there's some of our intercessors are going to be available in the back to pray with you. So we invite you to respond with them. Let's, let's pray. And Father, you know already every heart, every person who's here. You know everything about us. We can't tell you what you don't know. But Father, we do offer up to you the hardships, the things we're struggling with right now, and I encourage you to do that. And sometimes I just picture taking that hardship, just name it, and putting it in the Lord's hands. Put it there. Just picture yourself doing that. It's not yours to carry. It's not yours to carry in 2020 or 21. Put that hardship in his hand. Now, in your own heart, just, just ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do? How am I to respond in a way that's righteous? Have your way in me, through me. If it means hardship, okay, I'm, I'm okay with that, Lord. I want to be faithful, obedient. Give me grace to do that, Lord, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. Help me do this well, Lord, that your name might be honored, that your kingdom might be extended somehow in and through a broken clay pot like myself. And Father, I believe that you hear the prayers of your people. I believe you're moving on their behalf in these areas, in these situations, to bring great glory to your name. And so we ask you to do that, Father. We ask you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.